morning, Wisconsin. This is Ola Lasowski, and welcome to another edition of the MacGyver Newsmakers podcast. As we all know, Wisconsin is in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis, and in recent weeks, the conversation has shifted the deb- toward the debate about opening up our state. Joining the MacGyver Newsmakers podcast today is Dr. Nicole Hemkes. She is a family medicine doctor with 15 years of experience, who is the owner and medical director of Advocate MD, a direct primary care practice in Middleton, Wisconsin. Dr. Hemkes, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ola. So why don't we start with, uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your practice, and how COVID-19 has impacted it? Sure. So, um, as you mentioned, I'm a family medicine physician. So, um, I've been out of residency for about uh, 12 years, and I just started up a direct primary care practice uh, a year and a half ago. And direct primary care is somewhat of a unique model of healthcare delivery where we do not deal at all with insurance. The patient instead pays a monthly membership, and then that includes all their primary care office visits. If they need a procedure done in the office, there's no charge for the visit. There's no copays. There's no deductible. So it's a much um, more direct, you know, physician and patient kind of relationship. And we don't really deal a lot with third parties. Um, so that's been a really great uh, model to work in. Um, but yeah, so with the you know coronavirus, the COVID nineteen, um, you know, we're seeing how it's affected you know the healthcare system in general, it, all the way from the very large health systems, hospital-based systems, all the way to, you know, private physicians' offices, Um, and it's had a pretty far-reaching effect in these, even in these systems that we think, you know, healthcare is pretty, you know, static as far as it's not really affected by the economy as much, but you would think that since we're putting so much more strain on our healthcare system that, you know, economically they would be fine, but, you know, unfortunately in in a fee-for-service-based system where patients pay, you know, the way the doctor and the health system makes money is by having, you know, patients come into the office. Um, and that's the way they generate a, a code, a billing code, and that's the way that they're reimbursed. Um, but what we're seeing since, you know, the coronavirus hit is that a lot of the routine, you know, office visits, the routine surgeries, all of that kind of was put on hold. And so most primary care doctors like myself, you know, even in, in our community here in Madison, you know, put all the routine visits on hold, you know, even the follow-ups for, you know, blood pressure and diabetes, and they were just seeing a lot of telemedicine and doing, you know, urgent care visits in the office. And that's kind of what I had been doing. But again, because my model of healthcare delivery and the way I'm paid is, is somewhat different than an insurance-based doctor, I think I've been less affected um, by the, you know, by the coronavirus in terms of, um, you know, even though I'm not seeing as many patients in the office, I'm doing a lot of telemedicine, um, but I'm not paid based on, you know, patients coming into the office, you know, in this kind of transactional way. Um, but it has really affected, you know, in terms of me put trying to, you know, keep people informed and put out a lot of educational, you know, emails, you know, you know, weekly emails and doing a lot of FaceTime live videos um, to try to keep people up to date, you know, since the information seems to be constantly changing and also making sure that you're getting your information from reliable sources because, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are, you know, putting things out that maybe aren't the most reliable um, or maybe have some bias and, and, you know, a political bias or whatever. So so I think that it's kind of uh, good to have a reliable source and, you know, trying to keep my patients informed in that way. Um, but yeah, I think that that's probably the main way that it's, it's 
impacted in terms of, I think that it slowed down in some ways, you know, patients maybe enrolling in the practice. I think a lot of people are putting things on hold until they figure out financially how coronavirus is going to affect, you know, maybe their family, you know, maybe they are transitioning, to, you know, maybe their job has ended and they're going to go to a new job. And so a lot of people put things on hold and maybe put, you know, medical complaints on hold to say, okay, I'm not going to get that taken care of until I, until this Corona thing is over with. And so I think that's slowed things down a little bit. Right. Thank you. Um, why don't we go through a brief overview of where our state is at in the fight against COVID-19? What do the latest numbers show? Yeah, so uh, this is a, a good question and somewhat complicated question, you know, so I've been trying to keep really up to date with the, you know, Wisconsin Health Department and they're putting out numbers in terms of, you know, new cases, number of deaths. They've recently started, again, reporting the number of recovered cases, which I was really glad about. So I have this little notebook where I've been keeping track and I've been trying to actually, you know, kind of plot it out to see. You know, it, it's, it's hard when you look at the raw numbers because you're seeing in most cases, you know, kind of a cumulative total of, you know, the, the number of cases in our state, or maybe you're looking at the county numbers. And so you see this line that keeps going up and up and up. And so, you know, psychologically, sometimes it, you, you start to feel like, man, this thing's just getting worse and worse and worse. But the, the truth of the matter is that actually, um, from what I see in all the numbers, I think things are looking better, um, especially over the last few weeks. Um, you know, if we look at a lot of the models, the predictive models, you know, one of the things that they predicted was that our peak was going to be around the beginning of April. So, you know, sometime around, you know, April 4th or so is when we had a very high number of deaths around there. Um, and if we look at, you know, something, for example, like the number of you know, cases, uh, the number of new cases, it can be a little bit misleading because all of a sudden around the end of April, we started seeing the number of new cases in Wisconsin, you know, significantly increasing. So, you know, some people might look at that and say, you know, wow, what, what is causing this, you know, significant increase, you know, so where it was, you know, maybe in the hundreds and then all of a sudden now we have 200 cases a day, 300 cases a day. But one of the things to keep in mind is that, you know, one of the governor's orders or, you know, mandates that he had was that he wanted to do a significant, you know, more rev up the testing significantly. And so instead of, you know, I think they were doing 3,000 or 4,000 tests a day and now they're doing 11,000 or they have the capability to do, you know, 11,000 and something tests per day. So we did see that there was a significant more amount of testing being done because the capabilities of the labs changed. Um, so when you look at the actual percent of infection, you know, the, the positive cases, you know, versus the total number of people being tested, that hasn't changed significantly. Um, we've just, we're just testing a lot more people. So we're getting a lot more positive tests back. Um, but I think that the better indicator personally, I think is that, you know, looking at the number of deaths and what we've seen pretty, you know, steadily is that the number of deaths has come down to where, you know, over the last couple of weeks, it's, it's typically been in the single digits. And the other thing you have to you know, keep in mind is that when you look at these numbers and the raw data, you know, you, you can't be too reactionary about, you know, if, if one day the numbers go up, you know, by five or they double and then the next day they go back down again. You know, so, you, so we can't just necessarily look at anything in isolation. We have to kind of look at the trends and the patterns and we can see that, you know, definitely the numbers, number of deaths has gone down over the last you know, few weeks. Um, and so we, we kind of look at that in general and say, you know, so even despite the fact that we have still a good number of positive new cases each day, the number of deaths is coming down. So again, that kind of confirms, you know, what we, what we know now about this virus, that it's, 
very contagious, um, potentially a lot of asymptomatic carriers, and that typically elderly and people with a lot of comorbidities are the ones that are, are going to be really severely affected by this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that kind of confirms, you know, based on the numbers that even though we have more people being infected with coronavirus or that have coronavirus based on the testing, you know, out in the community, there's a greater penetration that still the number of deaths is relatively small compared to, you know, the overall number of people. Great. Thank you. So from a medical standpoint, what do you think will be the most important in the weeks to come? And how about in the months to come? Yeah, so I think, you know, medically, we've been doing all these mitigating factors. So we've been telling people to, you know, do social distancing, stay at home as much as possible, wear a mask when you go out. And all of these things are meant to, you know, lessen the spread of of the disease. Um, the virus. Um, but what, you know, what I think we're going to start to see happening, you know, obviously people are getting a little restless. They'll probably start to go out more and I don't know what's going to happen, uh, with the stay at home order. But I think in general, we, if we continue some of these mitigating factors, even in terms of if, if people do start to go out more, go to the store, still wearing a mask, um, you know, still trying to not gather in large groups, you know, obviously we're not going to be throwing parties or these sort of things, but I think that still washing and then obviously, you know, keeping in mind things like washing your hands and those sort of things. So I think if, if we can, you know, as individuals and families kind of continue to do these mitigating factors, it's going to make a huge difference. And then, you know, especially the people that are most you know, at risk, so elderly people and people with comorbidities, immunocompromised individuals, those people should continue to stay at home as much as humanly possible. And so I think over the next few weeks, it's, it's going to be interesting depending on when, you know, as a state, you know, when we get through this whole legal battle that's happening, if, if we are allowed to open up as a state in terms of businesses and schools and daycares and these sort of things, um, I think we will see that the number of new cases will go up. I don't necessarily think that we're going to see a spike in the number of deaths, but I think that we will see a spike in the number of positive cases because people will be, you know, starting to interact with each other again. Um, but the kind of the catch 22 of all of this is that in a way we do need people to interact with each other to if people get coronavirus they develop antibodies to that and so uh without you know there was an article i think in the new york times pretty recently that was talking about without infection we don't have immunity right so without and that's also under debate but without people contracting the virus we don't have them developing antibodies and therefore having some sort of protection. There is debate as to how long this protection lasts, but without that, we will never come to this place of having a herd immunity, which is the ultimate Mm -hmm. goal. Um, The only other way we come to that place is by having a vaccination, but the vaccination could be something that, you know, anywhere from eight months to 18 months away. And there is some, you know, even people out there that are saying that maybe we wouldn't come up with a vaccine, but I, I feel pretty confident that a vaccine will be developed. It's going to be a question of how long will it take to develop and Mm -hmm. test? And then how long will it take to kind of mass produce that vaccine? So I think we're, we're not going to be able to kind of shelter in place for the next eight to 18 months. So I think we're going to have to see how over the next month or so, how we're going to be able to figure out mitigating efforts to, you know, at, at, at the same time, we want to protect those most at risk, most at, at risk of being severely affected from this. But 
it is it is kind of a challenging question because on the one hand we do want some people to contract corona so that they can develop immunity so it's somewhat mm-hmm. of a you know catch 22 Thank you. Um, In your video updates, you have talked a little bit about the recent increase in cases. I think you just mentioned it briefly that we saw at the end of April and whether or not we can attribute that to the April election. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, Yeah. So there was around, I want to say, you know, around April 22nd and past then, you know, is when we kind of saw an uptick in the number of positive cases in Wisconsin. Um, You know, and I know that there have been some uh, people kind of taking credit to say that that, you know, might have been from the election. Um, I think timing wise, so the one thing about this virus that we do know is that it has, you know, somewhat of a a longer incubation period compared to some other respiratory viruses that we've dealt with. Um, But I think that the timing is slightly off for that to be the argument to be made that that was from the the elections. the other point to keep in mind, though, is, you know, we do this thing called contract uh, contact tracing, where we try to figure out when there's a positive case, you know, to retrace that person's steps and to say, you know, they went to such and such store, or they traveled here, they interacted with this person, you know, where could this, you know, virus have originated that this person contracted, and then who have they then come in contact with to, to possibly spread it to those other people? Um and it becomes very, very difficult. You know, so if you're in small cities, rural areas, and you have an isolated number of cases, this contact tracing is much, much easier to do. But, you know, for example, if, if we tried to trace things to the election and we said, you know, the incubation period of this can be, you know, anywhere from five to 14 days. So, you know, where has this person gone in the last 14 days? Have they gone to a store? Have they gone to a gas station? Did they touch a doorknob? Did they visit with a friend or a neighbor? You know, so it gets really complicated to try mm-hmm. to trace exactly where that originated from. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it would be somewhat hard to kind of peg it onto one thing. Um, the other thing we know about is that, you know, the meat packing plant in Green Bay, had a, a pretty significant outbreak, and now I think the latest numbers I saw were, were 266, you know, employees that had contracted cor- coronavirus just in that one factory. Um, so that's another reason why we kind of saw an up, uptick. And you know, Brown County now has you know per capita you know higher than you know other counties around. Wisconsin. So, you know, again, we have to kind of look at these things and say, well, you know, so all it really takes is one person that's, you know, in a very concentrated area, working in a concentrated area where they interact with many people. And again, if that one person is maybe not taking the the proper precautions and washing their hands and doing that, they can spread it to a very large number. Um, So I think that though, you know, that along with the increased testing that I was talking about, that basically they triple the number of tests, uh, the capacity, um, you know, that time. So I think that that, again, the more people we test, the more positive positives we'll have, right? Because if we, if we test no one, then we get no positives. Right. If we test every single person, you know, if we had the capability to do that, then we likely would, would have, we would be seeing a lot more positives than what we're seeing now. Yeah, of course. What do you think, turning now to some of these economic aspects that have become an increasingly important part of the conversation and certainly an increasingly prevalent part of the conversation, what do you think the conversation about opening Wisconsin up needs to include? Sure. So I think, you know, that's, again, there's been some really good writings lately about this and, and there's kind of, you know, this, it seems to be there, there's these two competing arguments or two competing parties and one is basically 
you know, the, the shelter in place, stay at home orders, you know, until we, until we have a vaccine or a, or a known treatments that we can't risk a single life by going out, you know, out of our house or, you know, reopening, if you want to call it reopening America, going back to work, going back to school. And then the other, other side of the argument, the other party is saying, um, you know, we need to start opening up businesses. We need to get back to normal life. You know, we need to uh, stimulate the economy. People need to start going out to restaurants and shops and all these things. And I think that there's there's some place in the middle that we need to be because um, there definitely is a tipping point um, in terms of economically. You know, we do there's there's plenty of studies that have shown that uh, with with economic downturn and people losing jobs that. There, there is a human cost to that, right? There's a, a cost to people having, you know, worsening depression or anxiety, family dynamics issues, you know, abuse issues, all of these things. So, um, you know, there is a, there is a, a, sorry, a human cost to having a significant economic downturn. So we, we come to this, you know, there's kind of a scale to where we say, do the, does the risk of remaining closed outweigh the benefits of remaining co- closed? And again, then you have the whole argument that we'll never kind of, re- you know, gain this herd immunity if we just keep everybody sheltered in their home all the time. Um, so there's some people that feel that we're kind of, you know, prolong- prolonging the inevitable to mm-hmm. just kind of open things up a little bit. But I do think that um, the other part that, you know, we're hearing more and more about is that, you know, as people are delaying because, you know, because we've been closed and because, you know, people aren't having access to medical treatments, that people are delaying their exam, they're delaying their cancer screenings, they're delaying that colonoscopy they were supposed to get. And again, this might be partially because the access isn't there because the clinic or the testing site is not open, but it also could be a financial concern because, you know, now they've unfortunately lost their job and they no longer have their health care benefits so they can't afford to do the colonoscopy anymore um so you know it's it's very kind of complex um but i do think that there's a that being somewhere in, in between to say that i you know i think that we need to responsibly and safely start trying to open up you know businesses and getting things you know not back to normal like normal was six months ago but getting back to you know somewhere you know where businesses are able to at least maybe have some sort of an income um, and people are able to be employed again and you know maybe kids can start going back to school in a certain kind of process um, I don't think that saying that should be um, interpreted as not caring about, you know, human life and all of that, because I think that, you know, there, there is a, a cost to kind of keeping everything kind of shut down. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, you are a medical doctor, of course, as well as a small business owner and a Wisconsinite. What do you want Wisconsin politicians to know? Yeah. So I, I guess, you know, it kind of just stemming from the, the, you know, the part that we were just talking about is that um, I think that there is a balance to all of this, and we have to just keep in mind that you know, human life is you know, there economically we need to make life sustainable for people. So um, I think we need to figure out ways rather than just having extreme solutions to things. I think we need to have kind of a more graduated, practical solution to things. So you know, whether that means. Um, actually the Heartland Institute put out a great, um, kind of return to, you know, reopen America or whatever. I don't know what term they use for it, but basically saying how employers or how businesses could start to slowly 
in a staged process kind of reopen. And it, you know, it talked about things like, you know, limiting capacity at restaurants, you know, mitigating factors, you know, wearing masks, putting up plexiglass in retail establishments so that, you know, people that are coming in are, are you know, kind of protected a little bit and the, the employees a little bit protected. Um, you know, what we see is that when, when two people, you know, so if one person is wearing a mask and the other person is not, and, and they're standing close together, you know, that's less protection. If, if they're standing further apart and one person's wearing a mask, you know, that's a little bit better. If they're both wearing a mask, that's a lot of protection. Um, and depending on the type of mask, you know, obviously that, that makes a difference also. But I think, you know, when we look at things like if people are wearing masks, if they're maintaining a, a reasonable distance, if restaurants can kind of, you know, spread out the tables and, and, you know, obviously hand washing and all of these different things, you know, I think that the, there would be a reasonable way that we could do this so that uh, businesses could reopen. Now, our businesses, you know, like movie theaters and concert venues and these sort of things going to reopen, I, you know, that might take a little bit longer. Um, so there might be certain types of, of uh, businesses that will have to wait. But I think that, um, I think that, you know, this shouldn't be, you know, my, my concern um, has always been that this would be used for political purposes in terms of, you know, deciding when things will be open would would turn into kind of a political debate. And I, and I don't think it should be that way because mm-hmm. I think that there are clear, you know, indicators of improvement. And I think there are clear indicators. So if, if we had known you know, two months from now, what we knew today about this virus. So when we, you know, I guess when we started shutting things down was mid-March. But if we, you know, at that time, we were operating under the assumption that this virus had a 2 to 3% mortality rate. Um, You know, we didn't have any known treatment at that time. We, you know, kind of didn't have, we didn't have enough PPE for, you know, the hospitals and we weren't sure if we had enough ventilators. So it did make sense to do what we did. And I, I don't think that there was, that was necessarily a wrong decision. But now fast forward a month and a half later, we, based on everything we see, this, the mortality rate of this is significantly lower. It's, it's extremely contagious is what we know. Um, we know what kills it and how we can, you know, keep it at bay and what mitigating, you know, what type of cleaners we can use and all of these different things. And now we know that our hospitals, you know, in terms of Wisconsin, we have even under the worst case scenario projections, we had enough, you know, ICU beds and ventilators and these sort of things. And not to say that, you know, the goal of any of this would be to push this to the max, but we, we know that we have the infrastructure in place, um, that that's not a concern. And we've, you know, kind of prepared and, and we're much better prepared than we were a month and a half ago. So I think the idea that even if we opened up and we had more cases, again, I, I, I'm not predicting that the number of um, mortality would be significantly more, but just even if obviously people would be getting more infections um, and we're still protecting those mo- most vulnerable in ter- you know, in terms of telling those people to stay at home and those sort of things, um, you know, I think that knowing everything we know now, this virus is less scary than it was, you know, a month and a half ago. So I think that we have to kind of change our game plan mm-hmm. than just kind of indefinitely keeping things shut down. Yeah. Dr. Amkis, thank you so much for your perspective. I know I really appreciate an opportunity to hear right from a doctor and kind of cut through some of this noise. Just a final question. What would you like to leave our listeners with or something that you hope the public knows? 
Um, you know, I think that a lot of people in their day-to-day life, there's a lot of, you know, uncertainty. There's a lot of anxiety associated with that. When will you go back to work? When will your kids go back to school? Um, but I guess what I would like to say is that, um, you know, I think that we will slowly get back to a, a sense of normalcy and, and we will maybe be a little bit different in the way that we interact with each other. Maybe we won't be going up to each other and shaking hands and giving each other a hug or a kiss on the cheek. You know, maybe people will be a little bit more distant for a a while. It might be a good while. Um, But I think that we will get back to a place where restaurants will be open and businesses will be open and people will be able to get back their jobs if they lost their jobs. So I, I'm very optimistic. I think that, um, the path for, you know, things like a vaccine and things might be a little ways away, but I, I, in the meantime, I think that we have the knowledge to, you know, be able to mitigate a lot of the risk factors. And we know that, you know, that we're going to be able to take care of people if people are sick. Wonderful. Thank you again for joining us. Thanks, Ola.